microphone. What's going on, guys? No, no, no. Welcome back to episode 19 of Stick Talk here at Grand Cathedral Cigars in Tampa, Florida. Um, as always, we love this place. Best place on earth, in our opinion. Um, back with a brand new episode with our good friend Courtney Jones, someone you've never heard of, but probably has the most interesting story you'll ever hear um, based on his experience launching internet businesses and predicting the future, basically. So welcome on, man. Hey, what's up? <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, so th the way we usually like to start is, you know, for those of, uh, people watching that don't know who you are, which I'm sure is the vast majority, if you could just give a quick run through on who you are, what you're about, what you've accomplished, and what you're currently up to. Sure. Uh, okay. That's um, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Brief. Okay. So kind of, kind of the coolest thing that I've done related to you guys is, um, so my background was broadcasting and advertising. So I started in radio when I was a kid. I've owned radio stations. I've created radio formats. I created a television program in the early 90s showing Andre my, my, my book. Uh, that's a copy of it. That's not the book uh, that I wrote called The Electronic Entrepreneur. And I did, a, I did an infomercial about how to do your own infomercial, right? Because it was the electronic retail landscape was this you know, wide open frontier and the electronic media had only been available to the rich and powerful. And I realized that in the future, if you could share your product, your services, your ideas electronically and reach millions of people, you could make millions of dollars. And so what we did, or what I did was, I taught people how to go partner with radio stations, cable network, cable stations, local stations, AM radio, FM radio, and only pay when you got a result. Because all the media, the electronic media had unused inventory. It was like rooms in a hotel or seats on an airplane. It, it's a perishable asset, right? And so I showed entrepreneurs how to go find products that sell, how to make commercials, you know, how to, how to basically the electronic retail model. And again, the, the thing that's important here to only pay when you got a result, right? And so I took that same thesis. So Success Magazine licensed my electronic entrepreneur. They were doing these internet marketing consultants. As I told before the, the show here, it was illegal to conduct commerce over the internet until 1994. And, and so when I started, I talked about bulletin boards, right? <laughs> AOL was basically a bulletin board, right? There was no World Wide Web. Mm. There was no mass adoption. So Success Magazine licensed my show. I'd go fly around and talk to these groups of internet marketing consultants about uh, uh, you know, how to find product, how to electronically retail products. And then we started in 1997, I started a search engine optimization business, right? Because I realized everybody would have a website. The original SEO agency. Started in 1997. <laughs> so I realized that everybody needed uh, a website and every Buddy would need that website optimized to a search engine. And uh, originally, we, we charged people a flat fee, and it was called Be First, Be First in the Search. So I, my two domains were B-E-F-I-R-S-T, BeFirst.com, and then B-E-1-S-T.com. And so we could get, you know, number one positions on all the search engines. And then the search engines start, the algorithms start, you know, attacking us, knocking us down. And we had everybody's deposits. They're paying us all this money. We said, well, just pay us per click, right? So then I'm like, I called my partner, Craig, and I go, hey, Craig, how much to build a search engine? So he's $75,000. I go, let's build a search engine. So 
I'm sitting at my office in Santa Monica one night and I'm scribbling on an envelope. I'm a songwriter and I'd write songs on an envelope. And I wrote, find what? And I looked and it was available and I called Craig in Florida and I'm like, dude, go get, I found the name, go get this name. It's findwhat.com, go get it, call me back. And so he gets the name, the next day I'm driving down to PCH, I, I see this, you know, in my mind's eye, this road sign to the future of how you find what you're looking for. And I call my designer, dude, you know, here's the logo, it's find what, it's got this yellow road sign that takes you to the future. And a couple hours later, he has the road sign. I'm like, that's it. So we end up doing what's called a reverse merger into a public company. And we reversed into a public company even before we launched the search engine. We launched the search engine November, excuse me, September, Labor Day of 1999 at a penny a click. Wall Street thought we a were crazy. penny a click? penny a click. Wall Street thought we were crazy, thought nobody would ever pay, you know, you're like, you mean Tampa Toyota is going to pay you two cents for a click to their website and that's your business model? Like, I don't see that. And I'm like, well, not only are you going to pay two cents, it's worth $20, $50, $100. Somebody's in Tampa and they're interested in buying a Toyota, yeah. you know, today. It's the world's best advertising. And the way I used to describe it to, the, to Wall Street was imagine being anywhere in the phone book under any listing, only paying when your phone rang, and only paying what it's worth to you for your phone to ring. Wouldn't that be the world's best business? And that's what we pioneered, that's what we invented. And I remember when we started and put the wires together, a little blue cord going to the servers, and it's like going to the rack, and it's like Like the wires of the actual server, you're saying? Meaning the blue (laughs) wire to, to the rack. That was the search engine that had a CRT cathode ray tube, and we'd see in real time what words people were clicking on and what the price was, and then we'd see what word they would search on next. So we knew in 1999 what word people were searching on, what they searched on next, what IP address, what day of the week. So we started creating relational databases, right? Because we're, you know, we would tell advertisers, if you're bidding on this word, you probably yeah. want to bid on this word, you probably want to bid. You, <laughs> you had the most valuable data in the world. So I met Sergey Brin. This is a cool story. So anyway, so the coolest thing I ever did. So this is before Google, right? Yeah. So the coolest thing I did was start a search engine, grew it to 250 million searches a day. I'm going to tell you how I did that. Um, only raised six and a half million dollars. And, and so we earned our money. We survived the dot bomb. The day we went on the NASDAQ was the, the, the day that the internet market boom you know, crashed. Our stock was like 12 to 18 bucks. And we went down to a dollar. And then we went to 27. You know, so we survived it and we came out the other how side. Quick, how quickly did it? Uh, it was not for the faint of heart. It wasn't, wasn't fast enough. <laughs> um, but I'll get to that in a minute. So, so I'm at this search engine strategy seminar in, in February of 2000. And I'm in a little, my little booth. I got four people in my booth. We're a public company. I got a search engine, findwhat.com. And I'm selling search, highest bidder, peers first, 
second hire bidder second our back end was a backfill called ink to me so ink to me was the backfill for all the search engines yahoo uh, uh excite many people used ink to me including us but on top of ink to me were all these paid search results people gave us their credit card somebody clicked we debited the, the account we built all the tools for advertisers to bid on keywords, to bid on other, you know, so I'll get it to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. But it was, it was crazy what we built. So I'm at Search Engine Strategy Seminar in February of 2000. Velvet rope between my booth and this booth, these guys called Google. <laughs> and it's this little guy, Sergey Brin and Larry Page and one other person there. And they're in these little black suits with neckties, look like waiters. And little little guys, little guys, not that there's anything wrong with that, um, arrogant, arrogant. And so they looked at us like we were prostitutes because we were selling search. And I asked, I asked Sergey, I go, so what's a Google? How, how'd you come up with the name? I mean, for two days, we're next to those guys, right? Velvet rope next to the two of us. And, you know, again, they thought we were selling our souls because they were all about PageRank. You know, if you guys know about how PageRank works, PageRank is, you know, they're, they're you know, Ink to Me had, you know, big rooms of data centers and crawling the internet and these algorithms would, you know, crawl and index the whole internet. And then Sergey or, or, or Larry Page said, hey, we'll, we'll rank the sites based on links coming to and from the site must be the most relevant. They called it page rank. And so that was what they were, right? Uh, you know, that was their, why, why they were so popular and, and the, you know, clean and what have you. But anyway, so I met those guys. They thought we were prostitutes. We were selling search. And, and ultimately what Google did, Google bought, well, I'll get to how Google got in our business because it's, 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 it's pretty interesting. So the cool Because at the time, they had no revenue model, right? No, they had no revenue. They, they, they got very popular um, about a year or two later. So we were in the paid search business for four years before they got in our business. And four years in the internet time back then, you know, was an eternity, right? Yeah. So... Um, so anyway, the coolest, probably one of the coolest things I've ever, ever did was create a search engine. And, what, and one of the things I used to sit there, I remember one day, we were doing 130 million searches a day, over 2 million clicks. And I'd sit there and I'd go, you know, in the time it went me to, for me to go to the restroom, you know, you know we made like 30,000 bucks, right? And I'm just like going, this is crazy. Um, but I remember we're like doing $2,000 a day, then $5,000 a day, then $10,000 a day, then $20,000 a day, then $100,000 a day, $200,000 a day, $300,000 a day, $350,000, and it just on and on and on. And it's the world's best business because we had everybody's credit card on file. We had this, you know, we had ended up having 425 employees, and, wow. and we, had this, we had this one room in the beginning because credit cards were all like manual back then, yeah. right? And we're like, you don't go in that room. You don't bother. You know, <laughs> and all this, all this gal did all day was run credit cards, you know? And we're like, don't go in what there. What was his name? Stripe? No, no, it was. 
female. So anyway, so so uh, what was her name? I was talking about how Google got into the paid search game. No, no, I was I was I was trying to think about uh, this girl's name. So the way that we grew so fast, so we didn't raise a bunch of money from venture capitalists. Google ran out of money. So Google raised $25 million in, in an unprecedented deal. They raised $12.5 with Kleiner Perkins and 12.5 with Sequoia. And those two venture capitalists were competitors, so they would never partner on a deal. But Google was so white hot, right? And so one of the things Google did, Google went around and gave everybody stock options. So Google went to Yahoo and gave Yahoo stock options and said, Make us your backfill, replace Inc. to me. We'll give you stock options. Use Google as your backfill. Yahoo did that. And I'll tell that we're going to get to that part of the story because that's really interesting. So, um, so ultimately, so Google goes through the $25 million. Google's got to get profitable. Google brings, the board brings on Eric Schmidt and uh, this Israeli data scientist. So the way we had grown so fast is we would go partner with other high-traffic search engines, GoTo, GoToNet, Dogpile, Metacrawler, Excite, um, and we would partner with those search engines and we'd say, show our search results, somebody clicks on it, we'll split the revenue. So that's how we were able to be a hockey stick, grow 72,000% in Jeez. five years, just like straight up. Because the more traffic we got, the higher the click rate went up. Yep. Right? And it was exponential. It was exponential and it was the world's best business. So And uh, real quick, just for yeah. the audience, just to kind of paint the picture. Sorry, sorry to ramble. No, it's it's, it's good. Awesome. This is super interesting. Just to paint the picture for the audience. So back in the day, this was you said nineteen ninety seven was when it first started? SEO ninety seven. We 97. launched the search engine in in September Labor Day ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. So around that time, so like if someone's on the internet back then, they're going to find what dot com as if they're going to Google dot com today. Is is that what it so, was like? So so we had we had organic search, right? You could go to our homepage. I actually had a search and win game. It's like uh, you know I had sweepstakes insurance. Oh, cool. You could search and win a million bucks, right? I had, I, 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 I went and my, my friends had big outdoor companies. I gave them stock options. I was on every wow. billboard in LA, every billboard in New York. I was all over the radio. You know, I was a guerrilla marketer, right? I did all these crazy ways to get exposure for my website, but I couldn't go pay the slotting fee to um, AOL to be you know, bum, bun, bundled in AOL. One of the craziest stories was I go to Yahoo, because again, I'm in LA, so I'm going up and down the coast all the time, going to Seattle, going to San Fran, and that's where everything was happening, kind of in the, the internet boom, if you will. And so, so no, people didn't go to, to, we had, you know, a couple of grand a day was our organic traffic. Okay. You know, hundreds of thousands a day we got from our affiliates. Right. The, the crack that we had were these hundreds of thousands of advertisers bidding on keywords. We already had their credit card and the money on file. All we had to do was get the clicks. Wow. Right. So we went and distributed. We had, you know, people that did biz dev and we had 150 different, you know, affiliates showing our search results. I go to Yahoo. And I go, just show our search results on the right side of the page. You know, the revenue, it'll explode. 
It'll be great. And they're like, no, we can't do that. We're a directory. You know, search has got to, you know, we're a directory. We can't do that. I go meet with AltaVista. Just put our search results on your page. The revenue will explode. It'll be great. <laughs> no, we can't do that. We're, you know, an algorithm. Search has got to be based on algorithms. It can't be based on money. So Yahoo calls us back to come up and see him. Courtney, we're thinking about putting paid search on this right-hand side over here. <laughs> If you give us $10 million, we'll put your search results right here. And I said, and I was a public company, I go, well, if you give me a letter that if I put your search results right there, you'll, you'll, if I give you $10 million, you put my, I'll, go, I'll go raise the $10 million. So Overture, which was originally GoTo and changed its name to Overture, Overture paid the $10 million. Yahoo acquired Overture for $1.6 billion. <laughs> and Overture, uh, we both had patents on paid search. Google was in a patent law when, when so let me get to the part that's kind of cool. This is when Google decided to get in our business. So I go to the board, I'm chairman of the board. And I go, we gotta buy up our search partners. We, we can't have 50% of the revenue. We have to own 100% of the revenue. No, Courtney, that's going to cost too much money. That's going to affect our earnings. We can't do that. No, we've got to make our earnings. We've got to do this. We've got to beat this quarter. This we can't do that. That's that's a that's a dumb idea. Right? So you did it. So so Google comes in, offers our search partners seventy percent of the revenue. Our rev shares were fifty fifty rev shares. So they come to our search partners, offer them seventy percent of the revenue. They buy our biggest affiliate one that I wanted to buy, which is called Oingo. And Oingo became this thing called AdSense. So Google bought our affiliate, bolted on to Google, and that's how Google got in our business. Wow. By buying our biggest. But at the conference, they were like, you're a paid search guy, that's your prostitute. This was three years, this is three, four years later, they bought our biggest. Did you ever meet them and say, oh, who's a prostitute now? Like, no, 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 no. Is this before or after the dot-com bubble? <laughs> This is after. Yeah, so at yeah. this point, they're like, okay, we need to make money at some point. Well, they're, so they need to make money. Their revenue exploded. It's a really interesting story. It's a great book called Surveillance Capitalism, right? It talks about Google and, and so we knew all this stuff. Like I said, we knew what day people were searching on what word, what they searched on next, and we could cr create these contextual databases and just ring the bell. You know, we could serve up what, you know, rather than this three cent click, here's this 89 cent click, right? Mm -hmm. Cool, cool story, another cool story. So Google, anyway, Google got in our business, but back before this, I'm sitting, sitting in Malibu one day, I, I, get, a, I get a call from, we were, we were in New York, Los Angeles, in Fort Myers, Florida, our three offices. And I get a call that this guy has come on and build, bid on like three or 4,000 keywords, you know. I said, give me the guy's account. So I go into this guy's account. One of my lucky numbers is 16. So I go to page 16 of this guy's search results and he's bidding on how to make a computer virus. <laughs> and, I, and so I... <laughs> And I click on the results set, and I see it's Dell Computer. And, this, 
And I go over to GoTo, our competitor, G-O-T-O, GoTo.com, which became Overture, and I see it's, a res- it's the same result set. So this guy's bidding on our keywords, or, you know, he's, he's got a, he's a, he's a rogue affiliate of GoTo, bidding on our search terms and redirecting it over to a GoTo search results. So I write an open letter to the industry, Ted Mizell, the CEO of GoTo. I write this, I said, if we as an industry are going to survive, we cannot have, you know, Dell Computer doesn't want to be associated with how to make a computer virus, right? (laughs) And so I write this letter. So the next morning I wake up in Malibu, or a couple days later, we do a press release, put the letter out, open letter to the industry, and and uh, my partner Bobby calls me. He goes, CJ. I go, what, man? I'm just having, you know, it's like eight in the morning my time, and I'm not a morning person. Have you seen the stock? I go, no. What's what's up, man? What what's what's up? Wall Street Journal picked up the story. Our stock's up four dollars today. You know, <laughs> because we for, it was the first time we've gotten this massive visibility on what we were doing. Wow. You know, because the Wall Street Journal picked up our story. So anyway, so it was a crazy ride, have a public company for seven years, that experience, the highs, the lows, you know, at the end we were, you know, just printing money. It was wildly successful. I was the largest shareholder because I just didn't want to sell my stock. And, and um, you know, it was just like, this is just the future. Today it's the world's biggest business. Uh, and it was just really, really, really an exciting time. But back to Google. So y- Google gets into the paid search business. Yahoo has patents in paid search now that it owns Google. We're in a patent lawsuit with Yahoo, meaning findwhat.com. You know, I was deposed by Yahoo attorneys. Google's in this patent lawsuit with, uh, with yahoo.com. Terry Simmel, Hollywood guy, who was CEO of Yahoo. Yahoo had all, so Google's going public. All these options, Google had, uh, uh, Yahoo had all these stock options in Google. And the reason that Google went public, because only Larry, Sergey, Eric Schmidt, their CFO, and this data scientist guy knew how much money Google was making. Because Google was private. And in the book, Surveillance Capitalism, they talk about this thing. It was called the Hiding Project. And so the Hiding Project, the data scientist goes to Larry and Sergey and goes, hey, you know, we can take all this data exhaust from what people are searching for, and then we can feed it back in, and we can predict what they're going to search on next. And that was the Hiding Project. And so they're just... Print, I mean, you want to talk about going straight up because Yahoo had, I mean, Google had all this traffic. So Yahoo, who had patent on paid search, gives Google the keys to the kingdom because they're, they were going to make a billion six, a billion eight on their stock options from back in the ink to me days. When yeah. Google yep. get, and, and so that's how Google accidentally became the biggest company in the world. That's the, that's the real story of how Google became the biggest business in the world and their don't be evil and, you know, it's all bull... Can you say bullshit on here? It's all the thing they made... So it's all fucking bullshit. (laughs) What they made fun of you for turned them into the the mega company that they are. Yes, And I saw it firsthand, you know, because I I was in it, right? I'm I'm, I'm like, me and you, like, you're Sergey. I'm like, 
Hey, dude. So if you saw him what's today, a could... what's a Google? How'd you come up with a name? <laughs> you know? If you saw him today, could you be like, told you so? <laughs> no, I I go, hey man. So how's that sixty-eight billion working for you? <laughs> Jeez. No, I mean it's it's you know it's 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 just crazy. And then you got companies like Alta Vista, you know, pioneers that just you know went by the wayside. Excite, one of our biggest affiliates, went by the wayside. You know, it's it's just crazy. One more Google story that's in this that's in this book, and you guys may not be old enough for this, but so Google Maps. Remember the little self-driving car with the little yeah whirly bird on top, yep. right? And you go, oh, look at that cute car driving around the hood, right? <laughs> So, so like, yeah, that's like mapping your location and taking pictures of the house. Well, what it was doing was busting people's Wi-Fi and stealing their data. <laughs> no. For real. And so it took, it was like a seven-year lawsuit in Congress, you know, against the government. And the Google finally paid. They're, they were like going, oh, that's just, that's a rogue engineer. You know, we didn't, we didn't do that. That's a rogue engineer. So it's in the book, Surveillance Capitalism. I recommend your audience that are electronic entrepreneurs out there, digital entrepreneurs, you know, to get the book Surveillance Capitalism, because that's really the, the world that we live in, is that we have no self-determinism. Self we live in this feedback loop based on our behavior. Our behavior is being monetized, and we were at the beginning of that business. And, but we didn't do it. Like, we saw it, but it's like, we can't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like morally wrong. It's yeah. almost like you saw what people are searching for, and you're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you got don't look, even want to. You got to kind of look the other way, man. Like, so, okay, we made it twenty five cents on that. But yeah, whoa. what do you do about that? If somebody's like typing in how to orchestrate a massive terrorist attack, is there any type of responsibility that Google has? Or, well, Google. I mean, you want to talk about responsibility that Google has. I mean, their responsibility is to, uh, you know, not skew what kind of content we receive based on political reasons, mm -hmm. right? So you, what Google shouldn't do is sway elections and, you know, squelch people's freedom of speech, you know? As far as what ser somebody searches for in their boxer shorts, you know, that's <laughs> none of my business. Yeah. You know, that's none of anybody's business, you know? And, and I don't think that, you know, I think... Privacy is privacy, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so, um, but, you know, do I think, um, you know, people that got terrorized or brainwashed by stuff like ISIS, do I think that's wrong? You know, do we have a responsibility? You know, yes. Yeah. You know, but that's not just Google. That's all kind of social media and, and everything together. It's tough. But yeah. But while we're on that subject, I'm just thrilled, man, that Elon, you know, has, has, I know you guys love Twitter. Yeah. I, I love Twitter. I'm, you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll start like posting more because I'm kind of a voyeur. I just kind of watch, right? And, and just look at everyone. Like, oh, look, look at, the, look at, the, this guy's posting how to do this and how to do that. And I, and I, and I always like DM the person, you know, like DM and like and follow. And I always do it because I, 
you know, because of this, you know, I'm just interested. In, yeah, that's why in, Twitter's fascinating because someone gets crazy. a DM, you DM, like a, someone DMs you like, oh, this Courtney Jones guy's got 10 followers. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, who is this guy? Oh, who is who, this guy? Who's this guy? Who's this lame guy? <laughs> he just <laughs> invented pay-per-click marketing. At least you, you have know, a profile I, picture. I, I, you know, it's just like, dude, yeah, that was at a racetrack and uh, that was at a racetrack. I was at the Long Beach race. That's, um, but yeah, it's yeah. just. Because the joke is like the, the accounts with five followers and no profile photo are like the most prolific businessmen on the platform. Um, so that's why you always have to yeah, so take interactions seriously. I, I, I just try to, you know, maintain a low profile. And, and, you know, but so one of the reasons I was excited to come, you know, talk to you guys because I'm fans of what you guys do. You know what I mean? And what you do is like show people what's possible, Right. And what's possible with not only hard work, but imagining a new way of doing business. And that's what really gets me jacked up, is new ways of doing things and imagining and having, having vision. You know, a lot of people want me to write a book and, you know, I've thought about writing a book and, and you know, my, my, my thing is vision is something you can't help but see, right? And so when you see something, and you know, I call them gifts from the other side, right? Like, like we're just sacks of skin occupying, you know, with consciousness, you know, walking around in the physical plane for 70, 80 years, and then we're, you know, we're startups, man. <laughs> you know, and it's like our ego selves think, oh, I did this, and I did, you know, and it's really, it's really the gift from the other side. It's the intu intuition that, that passes through you that you either listen to and pay attention to, you know, and follow and be inspired by, or you say, you know, I can't do that. I could never do that. You know, an idea never really, be, in my first television show, I said an idea never re really becomes an idea if it only remains a thought, mm. right? So we all have thoughts, we're like, oh, I had that idea, right? How many times we, you know, <laughs> so oh, many you know, times. yeah, I had that idea. I could have, yeah, that's nothing special. I thought I had fun. So if you, uh, <laughs> if you never took action on your find what idea and Google became what it was today, you'd be like, oh, I had that idea. I could have done that. Perhaps. But you actually did it. <laughs> um, just to put like a, a, a cherry on top of that story, what ha did you exit? Did Yeah, I mean, I left, I left the company and, um, you know, I went and did some other cool stuff and, you know, I started a company called Blue Ventures. My sushi, I built a bunch of sushi restaurants. I love sushi, you know, and so I wanted to build a groovy spot to go to. And, uh, you know, it became very popular. So I built, did another one, and then I did another one, then I did another one. With paid search? No. No, never did any paid search. It's In fact, I've got this project I'm doing now, and, and I'm talking to, talking to some people, and I'm like, yeah, you should use Google AdWords, and, and yeah, you know, I know a little bit about that, but <laughs> I, you know, I I don't buy keywords, man. Yeah. You know, I I don't I don't buy keywords. Um, so anyway, I uh, I got to buy part of an indie racing team. Of you know, when I was a kid, it's going to date me, but you know, I wanted to be a Beatle, and I ended up getting growing up and getting to be a singer in a rock and roll band and I got to own an indie racing team. You know, I either want to be a Beatle or, or, or a race car driver. So I didn't get to be a Beatle, but I got to play in a band. 
didn't get to be a race car driver, but I got to own a racing team, which was like probably one of the coolest country club, you know, uh, memberships in the world. You yeah. Know? yeah. Why do you say that? Why is that? Like, what, explain that for our audience and us. What, yeah. be, so, so. Like maybe some stories I feel just like a, to give them and There's a lot of high-level people that are involved with that. Like yeah, Michael so, Jordan's so, huge so, you know, racing. okay, so a country club, right? You guys are, you, you said this is your headquarters, right? Yeah, we're members here. Yeah, yeah. So this is your country club. Yeah. You like to come here, it's your hood. Yeah. You know, this is your, this is your spot. You feel like home. Yeah. So we got to go do that at, you know, 19 different cities around the country, different tracks, different people. One of the guys, cool guys that I got to meet and hang with was Gene Simmons, lead uh, bass Kiss. player of Kiss. <laughs> right. So Gene was doing this stuff for Indy, right? And I see Gene out with these chicks, you know. And we, were, we actually rented the, the, we rented the, uh, the Speedway, the Indy 500 Speedway. Indy, yeah, Indy Motor Speedway, we were doing a commercial for Ping. My friend was doing a national commercial for Ping. So we rented the Speedway, and, you know, Gene comes to the track the next day. And we're, you know, got our car going around the track, you know, 230 miles an hour, only one. And he's coming, like, I'm up on the wall, and he's, like, <laughs> brushing right by me. Just crazy stuff, right? And, and I see Gene, you know, Gene's coming to the track. Hey, Gene, what's up, bro? How'd you do last night? What? I didn't, I didn't do anything. They're like, dude, we saw you. We talked to you. Remember? You know? And so you imagine you're Gene Simmons <laughs> every day. Yeah. And the guy is just a, a hound dog, right? I mean, just he's, he's, he's chasing the baby dog, right? <laughs> no matter where you go, you know, he. Wait, it, is that the one with the super long tongue? Like the lead yes, singer? That's, yes, yeah, so that's Gene. <laughs> and so the guy, he is that guy in real life. The guy you see, he is that guy. Yeah, right. he's got that dog in him. So back to the country club, back to the membership. You know, it was just so it was just so great. It was so exciting. It was so fun. The, all the things that we, you know, that I learned watching the engineers. Um, I, I, it was, it was um, going fast was eighty percent engineering, twenty percent driver. Mm. I would think it'd be the other way around. Yeah. I thought it'd be eighty percent driver and twenty percent engineering. So. Kind of the, the heartbreaking, heartbreaking moment. Um, so we, in the 2013 Indy 500, my driver is J.R. Hildebrand. My driver that we had before was a guy named Dan Weldon. Dan Weldon was killed later that year. But Dan had been our driver for, for three years. We, killed now, how, in a racing accident? Yeah. Okay. In Las Vegas. So National Guard was our sponsor. I got to meet all these citizen soldiers, like That's some, cool. like the guys on Tunnel to Towers, like one of the guys on Tunnel to Towers. He, uh, I, won't, I won't mention his name, but you know he's an injured soldier. Uh, okay. And sure. he's in the commercial where you see Tunnel to Towers. They buy injured soldiers' homes. Mm. So one of the gentlemen that's a hero that would come to our 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 track is on those commercials, but. So we got to see these heroes amongst us, right? Um, but we take the white flag and we're in the lead for the Indy 500. So we're going to win the frickin' Indy 500. And I'm on the wall, right? I mean, here's our pits. I'm on, I go, we're going to win the Indy 500. <laughs> Fuck. We're going we're gonna to win. You know? And, and 
you know, coming unglued, right? We're just all just, there's 330,000 people. I don't like how this is going to end. Okay. And so what had happened was everybody was running out of gas, right? Everybody was running out of gas. And as, and we're in like sixth place, then we're like fourth, then we're like third, then we're like P2. And then we take the white flag and we're, we're in first place. So JR driver takes the white flag. Indy's two and a half miles long, going down the back straightaway. He goes into turn three. There's a guy running out of gas in front of him. Oof. So rather than let off and just follow the guy into turn four, he starts to go around the guy and goes directly into the wall in turn four. He keeps his foot in the floor. He's scrubbing the wall, flooring it towards the finish line. And Dan Weldon, who was like six seconds behind him, goes by and wins the Indy 500. So we don't know this is happening, right? So I'm on the pit wall. We take the white flag. We're going, where's the car? Where's the car? Where's the car? And all of a sudden, we see all the smoke and all this, you know, sparks and fire. So that was like, you know, the excitement and the agony of defeat, <laughs> you know. In, in, in one little Damn. trip. So, so, and was that your former driver? Jared Hildebrand, yeah. So, wow. so our former driver, Dan Weldon, one who passed won. Oh, so here's a crazy story. Another one. Dan, I'm in L.A. I'm, I'm going to see this movie, uh, Senna, Ayrton Senna, right, who died. And I'm sitting in a movie theater in L.A., and my phone keeps ringing. Phone keeps ringing. And I like turn it, you know, I turn my phone off. Like, Who's calling me? Don't, you know, don't answer. I'm watching Ayrton Senna. And Ayrton Senna, you know, famous Formula One driver killed in the race car, right? And I'm watching that movie. And I come out and I look, who's call, you know, who would call me? Dan Weldon, right? I call Dan, what's up? Courtney, I'm at Blue in, you know, Fort Myers. What's up, mate? What's up, bro? You know, you come in, you come into Las Vegas, dude. I'm like, dude, I'm in LA. Are you coming to Vegas? I go, yeah, man, I'll see you there in a couple of weeks. He died in Las Vegas, you know, at the track. And, and so we were on the grid, you know, JR got in the car and I was walking back to Dan's car. Dan was way in the back. And, and the start your engines call came as I was walking back and they cleared us off the track and I didn't get to go say, hey, man. And like 10 laps later, he was, he was dead. So one of the things my partner, John Barnes, said, you know, when I first got involved in a race, he goes, dude, don't, don't be friends with the drivers. Yeah. I go, why? He goes, dangerous, dangerous. IndyCar are the ones with, like, the, they don't look like regular Toyotas, right? No. The, the NASCAR ones are the ones that, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in a. Uh, open, open wheel. Think of right, right, right. Wheels. So as, like, a traditional sports fan analogy, that's, like, the racing version of owning like the tampa bay bucks you own like a racing team yeah right? i did yeah that's that's awesome i mean to me it was pretty freaking cool yeah that's that's sweet you know that's yeah it's 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 one of those things you check off like whoa i got to do that okay wow yeah. you know so so i just think i think um one of the things about my life that's just crazy is like getting you know having all these different lives the you know being in a plane crash and walking away from a plane crash and you know by the grace of god 
you know, being, being alive. And, and yeah, walk uh, us through that because you were also the pilot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you want to see a picture? Yeah. Did I post it? Yes. So, some. How did you find? How did, who you saw? He that? was. I, I was saw Christian sent us a, a tweet about. I was it. We were doing our research, you know, scrolling through. I Twitter. was like, I want to do some research. He just sends me that tweet. I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, this is the start. Well, so driving some, back. Somebody's like, what's the craziest thing that ever happened or something? And I'm like, I responded right. Well, I was walked away from a plane crash, you know, and not many people get to do that, you know. Not the kind of crash I was in. So, um, so what happened was I was flying up for qualifying. I was flying up from Fort Myers, Florida, and um, so I was coming in for a landing. Main gear goes down. Nose gear comes, chirps one time, meaning you know you've heard planes when you're lying, go right. And I had a Mooney. A Mooney. And what kind of plane is this? Mooney two hundred one. It's, okay. a, it's kind of a Porsche in the sky, okay? So I'm, I'm at 100 miles an hour headed right towards the ocean because it did a 90-degree snap turn to the left. I'm landing at St. Pete on, at Albert Witted Airports on the water. And I'm going directly towards the ocean, and I got 64 gallons of fuel in my wing. You know, there's a concrete seawall. And... This little piece of landing gear, wow, saves me. The tower goes two or one Zulu Zulu. Are you okay? And I go, I'm I'm going in. So I literally flew to like the edge of you know existence. So here's the seawall. So if I hit that seawall, I explode. If that doesn't catch, that tire doesn't catch, the landing gear doesn't catch. I go in the ocean upside down. Oh, my God. So, you know, I'm, like, for sure saying to myself, this is it, you know? And the tower is like, 201 Zulu Zulu, are you okay? And I go, I'm going in. And the craziest um, result of that was that, like, only way to describe it is, like, my soul kind of started untethering from, you know, my body. I was, like, calm as a cucumber. I'm just kind of watching everything happen. I'm like, I'm going in, and I'm like, this is it. And then, I'm a mother, <laughs> you know. Uh, but but you know that makes you almost have like survivor's guilt. Like, what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? And, yeah, you feel like you're there for a reason, right? Yeah. And I have a nine-year-old little girl, you know. At the time or no? Now? Today, today I do. I've Was had a, she? No, she wasn't born. She wasn't born. She yet. was born, but she was born. Uh, about a year and a half later. Wow. So we, we were walking down in St. Pete on the pier. You know the pier down there? And uh, it's the first time I'd seen the end of the runway since that day. You know, I'd been on the new pier. That pier wasn't... Yeah. Good. And I'm like, Juliet, stop. And I got this glorious picture of like her in the front foreground with that runway in the background. And it's like, wow. but for this day, she wouldn't be, you know, she wouldn't be here. I have two daughters. I have a 24-year-old daughter and a little nine-year-old daughter, and uh, it's awesome. That's the coolest thing I ever got to be as a dad. Wow. So have you ever flown since? Yes. Yeah, but my wife asked me not, not to. Yeah. Yeah. 
But you weren't scared to jump back in there and no. do it. Yeah. It's like riding a bicycle, you know? Yeah. I'm a I'm an aviator, you know? Yeah. And once you know you're called you're, you're stick talk, right? So uh, flying an airplane, one of the famous books is called Stick and Rudder, right? So it's all about coordinating, right? You know, not only you use a yoke, but originally it was a stick, and then your feet, and it's stick and rudder, right? That's how you, that's how you fly. Wow. Super interesting. Yeah, we were driving back, and Andre showed me that picture, and I was like, all right, I got to oh, so look yeah. at the road. <laughs> oh, the picture from the... After seeing that, yeah, of the, of the crash. Dude, it's nuts. It's insane. Like, I mean, literally like, hung on by a thread. It's we'll also like post this on Twitter. How fast were you were coming in? Like hundred miles an hour. Yeah. And so you're... my plane, my plane's a two hundred one. So it would go. You know, I'd cruise at about one hundred and eighty-five miles an hour. And the hardest thing is to slow that, slow those things down. You know, when you're coming in. You know, and there's an art to landing them. You know, you really had to learn how to land those airplanes. It's a, what's called a complex airplane. Because it's got a retractable landing gear, and uh, um, you know it's a it's it's a slick slick airplane. Slick meaning it's moving through the air without a lot of resistance. Mm. Not slick like ah, it's slick. You know, slick meaning it's slick. It's hard to it's hard to slow it down. And there was an art to landing the airplane, and I was good at it. You know, I'd had it for ten years. I knew how to land that airplane. It was fun landing that airplane. And so it's just an ordinary day, you know, landing the airplane, flying in, you know, the tower goes 201 Zulu Zulu, you know, clear land, runway 27, you know, 201 Zulu Zulu, clear land, runway 27, you know. You know, and you're talking on the radio and it's fun, right? Yeah. It's, you know, part of the snap, crackle, <laughs> pop of flying, right? And the thing, you know, you know, thing goes sideways and you're like, what? And you're heading towards the ocean and you're like, oh. This is this is how it ends, you know. And then it didn't, <laughs> you know. So at 100 miles an hour, the lander caught onto the wall and didn't break, or the other one broke. Like, how was there not so much force that you just went right through everything, dude? You know, if if I knew, I'd sell it. I'd, <laughs> I'd be a multi-billionaire because I'd sell it to people at a million bucks a piece. You know, <laughs> can't so, do that with miracles, though. Yeah, I mean, it's so the other uh, another miracle part is. So I'm talking to my wife, like I'm trying to call her, get her on the phone. As you're going down or what? No, no, no. This is okay, after, okay. after I get, out of, the, I get out of the airplane. I got helicopters on me. I got people running at me. I got, you know, every, you know, it's. Yeah. Where did you end up? Like, did you. I'm crawling out of the airplane. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm the only guy in the airplane. The, the, I'm crawling out the passenger seat. You know, that's how you got in. And I'm crawling up the rocks, and I'm going, motherfucker, son of, you know, and you're, you know, you're just startled, man. You're, you're like, stunned. <laughs> you're like, for sure, you're stunned. You know, you're just like, wow, you know, I'm here. You know, it's just a trip. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally trying to get a hold of my wife, and she would call it whenever I flew. The time when I would take off to the time I would land and text her or call her, let her know I was, she would say, she's in the window. So the time that she's in the window is the time that I go, I'm taking off. Hey, baby, I just landed, you know, at wherever I flew to. And flying is so cool, man. 
especially for entrepreneurs, it's like a magic carpet, dude. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I'll be in Orlando and I'm going to fly to there and I'm going to fly to there and I'll fly to the Masters and I'm going to fly here and I'll fly to the Hilton Head and fly here, fly there. Go back, go back. Fly to the back. <laughs> dude, I had, a, I, had a, I had a 54 Pershing, you know, uh, yacht, right? And I had it over in Bahamas and I'd go fly my airplane over the Bahamas. <laughs> and, you know, it's, you know, living, live, you know, life is cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so, so, um, I'm trying to get a hold of her, and she answers the phone. I go, "Hey, baby, I'm okay." Well, listen, I was in I was in a plane crash. What? I go, "Well, I'm okay. Everything's cool." Hey, listen, the FAA's here. I gotta call you back, but I'll call you back. Everything, I'm, everything's good, baby. Get get in the car. Get get up here. And just as just as I'm talking to her, like six dolphins, like almost like almost like SeaWorld. I'd never seen it before. I've lived in Florida forever, right? Like, these six dolphins, like, jump out of the water, like angels, right? I go, oh my God, these dolphins just jumped right in front of me. It's incredible. So it was something, you know, happened that day that God, the creator, whatever, uh, destiny, you know, said, hey, man, it ain't the time to go. And that was it. But that was crazy. Wow. Wow. And That's then where cool. do you go from there? So obviously you had a lot of success with that <laughs> first company, uh, which was a crazy story in itself. And so I'm just wondering and interested in, like, the other thing, too, is cool is, like, this binder. You almost, like, predicted the future, right, in a sense. Well, I mean, it kind <laughs> of, it, you know, this binder and in, in, in I can show you, like I said, it's in storage. My my kit, which was audio cassettes, video cassettes, you know, I had every radio station, television station. So when somebody bought the kit, it was 179 bucks. You know, you got this 4,000 page thing, or or wait, not 4,000, maybe 400 pages of 13,000 radio stations, every cable network, every radio TV station. Um, you know, my, my book, which told step-by-step, step, here's how to do this, this. I recorded, you know, 16 hours of audio cassettes. You know, here's how to do the step-by-step, did the videos. Um, the original and, online course. The original online course. And, and I, I was talking to um, Logan. And I go, Logan, I see all these people that they say they're an expert and they say they're... I go, dude, I really, you know... Because one of my one of my friends, he goes, Courtney, you should. This is really good. You should do like that was then. This is now, right? Um, uh, but I see all these experts, you know, of, you know, oh, I've done this and I've done this. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's cool. I like. Um, but I I'm I'm inspired by what everybody's doing. You know, um, um, all all I did was I just put my two cents on the table what I thought was going to happen next and it and it happened and this is in 1994 so yeah who's using the internet at this point well not really anybody because the world wide web that's before AOL is a BBS so I showed people how to do their own BBS so in that book right there here's how to do your own bulletin board service and and that was the version of the you know 
the internet, right? But it, you got to understand, man, it was like, I remember in 94, 95, people go, yeah, you want a website? Want a website? The World Wide Web? And it was Netscape that really made everything possible, right? I can remember literally the first time I went and bought a product from Amazon, brought a book, and put my credit card, you know, on the internet. You know, in, in what's fun, fun exercise that for your audience to do, you guys ought to go look at the original Amazon site. Go look at their original site. Go look at the original uh, Facebook site. You know, go look at, you know, because we're always kind of embarrassed that our first, like, site or first thing we yeah. put up, you know. And, and you, know, you got people that say, you know, fail fast. You got people like me who are perfectionists, like, no, no, wait, it's not... I need more cowbell. I need more of this. I need more of that, right? It's got it. No, that's not, it's not perfect, you know? Great SNL skit. Right? Need Pardon more me? cowbell. What? You ever seen that SNL skit? Oh, I mean, that's why I'm saying it. Yeah, that. it's awesome. More, more awesome. cowbell. More cowbell, right? <laughs> and, and um, you know, a creative person, because if you write songs, it's like that one note that's off, right? That, like, bugs the shit out of you, right? <laughs> or that one piece of copy, you know, oh, God, you know, that's clunky. You're like, oh, I got to read. Redo that. Ch chat GPT is pretty cool. Um, so um, Amazon was literally this little website. This company called Ingram was their whole back end. So Ingram sold a million, had a million different books. Amazon was just this front page for Ingram. They were nothing. You know, and you look at like, that's like, you know, a trillion dollar business that started with this... Just like a white label. Little, exactly what it was. Wow. Because you, you couldn't have a physical million book bookstore. Yeah. Ingram was the bookstore. Ingram was the back end that sold books to everybody. So Barnes & Noble, all the big book companies bought books from Ingram. So, so Jeff Bezos was a digital store for called Ingram. Amazon for Ingram. <laughs> Did you think that Amazon would become what it is today? No. No? No. So that, that's where I was going with my question is, like, obviously you were able to predict a lot of what we see now with yeah. this book almost 30 years ago. Is it 30 or is it? Yeah, I guess it's 30. Almost 30 29. years, 29 years, which is just crazy to conceptualize. And so I'm interested to get your, like, perspective on the markets in the world today. Obviously, the time we're recording this podcast, uh, the Silicon Valley bank failed. Failed. And so, like, woke, woke bank failed. Woke bank failed, and so. And you know why it failed, right? So I want I want to get your perspective on that. Why do you think it failed? It failed How do you think that it affects? It failed because it bought, bought bought bonds. Yep. And it bought bonds that were low yield, low interest rates, and the policies of the Biden administration are uh, have caused interest rates to dramatically rise to astronomical highs. Um, and so that caused this, um, I'll call it a woke bank, you know, I, I, um, I think a lot of horrible things are going on in the country, um, you know, because of misguided policy, feels like it's a race to the bottom to me, mm. um, and I think, thank God Elon, you know, bought Twitter, you know, so, so other voices can, can at least you know, come, I mean, we live in a dual nature universe. 
in a world of duality. And so what is a world of duality? You have to know day to understand night. Mm -hmm. a, 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 a printed page is a white page with ink on it. So there has to be, that's the dual nature. Magnetics is the reason planets fly in the sky. There's a positive, there's a negative. There's a man, there's a woman. To know love, you have to understand non-love. So we live in this dual nature universe. So anytime that you're trying to cram down the other side, you know, you can't have a, a, a coin with heads on both sides. You just can't. And so you can't cram down opposing point of view. You know, so why did the bank fail? The bank failed because it bought what it thought made a good financial decision, but it also um, uh, became very progressive in its thoughts and its activity, and it turned out biting them in the butt. Yeah. I, I, I tweeted about that today in one of my, yeah. one of my little tweets that <laughs> I do every once in a while. And I never post a tweet. I don't even think I know how to post a tweet. <laughs> I, only know, I only know how to, like, respond. Okay. You know, so then I'll go and like, so maybe one of you guys, sometime you got to, we'll go to lunch. We could show you. It's, we'll it's pretty sushi. straightforward. We, we'll, we'll go get some sushi. We should go get some sushi sometime. Where's the best sushi spot in Tampa? I mean, it's a long, it's, it really depends. Uh, there really isn't one. I make great sushi. I, I can, I can make killer spicy tuna hand rolls. Um, what, what I used to do wherever I was in the world. I would always get a spicy tuna hand roll. That was my litmus test, spicy tuna hand roll, because that told me everything about the restaurant, like <laughs> the fish, the rice, the seaweed they use, the chef. And spicy tuna hand roll is the litmus test for a sushi bar. So I'd, you know, I'd be in a cab in New York, pull over. You know, I'd run in. <laughs> I'd tell my girlfriend, my wife you now at the time, it's like, wait, baby. I'd run in, get a spicy tuna hand roll, okay, you know. Because I wanted to, I mean, I was curious, right? Because I was doing a sushi joint, and I wanted to, um, you know, have the best spicy tuna hand rolls. So I make great pokey, pokey, pokey bowls and, and great spicy tuna hand rolls. Uh, so I, I can't tell you where the best sushi is in Tampa. All good. Sidetracked, though. We were talking about uh, posting tweets. <laughs> yeah, so tweets. <laughs> tweets. Yeah, so I posted a tweet today. Let's see what I said to answer the, that question. Yeah, yeah. So how many in your audience and how many of you guys uh, use Twitter or tweet when you're on the, when you're on the bowl, when you're, when, <laughs> when you're on the porch? That's, I'm, I'm, that's what I do. I check Twitter. That's it. Yeah, so, so I think I bought the domain Twitter on the shitter <laughs> because I, I like to buy domains. Okay, I got like a gazillion domains. I'm a, and I never do it, you know, and I've got insane domains. Um, like, what would you say top three, top five? What? Domains. That I own? Man, I, I mean, I could tell you this one I got. Um, hold on a second. This is real, real life. Let me just, uh, I got to check one thing. Um. So how do I go? I go to how do I see? I go to me, right? In yeah. in, in a, again. Go to my profile, tweets and replies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Bloomberg, Peter 
Thiel's Founders Fund had no money with Silicon Valley Bank as of Thursday morning as the bank descended into chaos. <laughs> right? Then it says, Thiel's Founders Fund withdrew millions from Silicon Valley Bank. Right? Trying to a day before the crash. A bad picture of Peter And I go, Thiel. good for him. The bank bought bonds. The ridiculous Biden policies made interest rates skyrocket and the woke bank failed. And Peter Thiel took his money out of the bank. Looks like somebody fucked up and it wasn't Peter Thiel. <laughs> Wake up. Great. That's a great point. And you're somewhat of a internet Nostradamus. You've had a lot of Oh, crazy predictions I've never heard that went that. the right That's way. That's kind of cool. You can feel free to borrow that and That's just okay. uh, make that I, the new I, Twitter I, brand. I but uh, can we get that domain. I guess you know. Obviously, Biden policies, interest rates going up, affected this and was somewhat of a catalyst. They also probably had pretty poor risk management at that bank, and were probably overexposed to just the venture startup market in general. I guess. Do you think this is the start of something bigger, and there's going to be run on other banks because of these interest rate hikes, or? Do you think the government will nip it in the bud and basically bail them out and this won't be Great a huge question. trend? Great question. So I think the government I think the government will have to bail them out. Yeah. Right? I think that Silicon Valley has been largely behind progressive policy, right? And so I believe they're going to have to. Um, um, I mean, it, it, I'm not sitting gloating because I've, you know, I've I've lost tens of millions of dollars in you know economic crashes. Like mm -hmm. yeah. I was a big investor in real estate, and and, and I was the the lead investor in building thirteen hundred homes in two thousand eight when the market crashed. Wow. And, wow. and you know I I I I got a you know swallowed a big you know I, I won't say how many millions, but a, you know a big pill. And it wasn't a nice day. And it wasn't, you know, I sued the general partner for securities fraud, but never got anything, right? And uh, so it's unfortunate. And I feel for people that lose, you know, either in crypto markets, when there's a bad actor, right? And, you know, I, so I'm not gloating, <laughs> you know, at all. I feel for people that were, that were duped or misguided. And I think this, I think that's really happening in our society. Like people are duped and misguided for this horrible policy. In broadcasting, there's this thing called frequency. Frequency is energy. So the more times you hear something, the more energy it has, right? Yeah. You see a commercial over and over. You see, you know, uh, uh, um, a talking point over and over and over again. Oh, January, you know, I, and I want, you know. <laughs> oh, we can go oh, right January, you should meet. Oh, January, <laughs> January. Ah, you we know. have someone you should meet. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and so, so, you know, people believe and people don't go below the surface. They're just looking at a sound, look at this sound bite, right? And people live in this world of sound bites. Well, I'm a dude that goes all the way down the rat hole to like see what the fuck is up. <laughs> you know, and that's what I would tell your audience. Like, go down the rat hole. Know it. Know what you do. Know the deal in 360 degrees. You know, why somebody's looking this way, the opportunity's that way, right? My search engine. You said, well, well, you know, how did you get all these search results? Well, we we realized we the dot bomb happened. We couldn't go compete, but the goal that we had were all these people that would pay to be found. 
wait, let's go distribute this to all these high traffic search engines. Boom, what happens? We're the first internet company in the world, publicly traded on the NASDAQ, to ever make a profit in history of mankind. Wow. My company was the first in the world, first publicly traded internet company to ever make a profit, okay? <laughs> With that strategy. So while everybody's looking one way, look the other way, right? You guys are cold email, you know? And we all think it's like, ah, isn't that the junk in your, you know, inbox, right? If you're but doing it wrong, yeah. <laughs> but obviously you guys got a method away, and I'd love to talk to you about, you know, in, in, and if you want to talk about the domain that I have. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which is nuts. Um, and it's really, <laughs> you want to hear a crazy story. <laughs> Another one. So the domain I have. Data.com. Pardon me? Probably like data.com or No, 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 no. No, it's more patriotic than that. Um, so, in you guys, crypto guys, you like crypto? Yeah. So, I had a PhD from Stanford, uh, forked the Litecoin in 2014. Um, I had this idea for like a platform, and the more you contributed and participated in the, so the platform had like an imaginary stock exchange and the more you would contribute to the platform, the more imaginary stock you would get. Okay. And I wrote about this in 2012. What I do is I write these ideas to myself, mm -hmm. you know, so I'll write like a whole thesis to myself. Right. Oh, I have this idea and I got to write it down cause I'll forget it, you know? And so I write this idea for the system, this platform, the, you know, if you invited your friends, you got imaginary stock, you know, you participated, you did this, you liked, you did this, you participated in polls, this. So the more you contributed to the system, more imaginary stock you got. It had an imaginary stock exchange. When you left the, the, the platform, the imaginary stock, you could sell your stock, it had a real world value. A year later, I discovered crypto. And I go, that's my imaginary stock. So I was sitting at dinner with a guy named Hulk Hogan, okay? And we're in this private room and, and we're talking about this other business idea. And I'm with my buddy, Jason Hervey. Jason was on the Wonder Years and he's the older brother on the Wonder Years and he's a, he was producing all this wrestling stuff. And, and so I'm sitting with Jason and Hulk. We're talking about this idea and Hulk's like, oh my God, that'd be like, It'd be like we're saving America. And Jason's like, you should buy that domain. So Trump. long story short, a year later, a guy in Greece had it since 1997. I have savingamerica.com. Okay? Call Trump. I, 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 I put up Santa's. this platform. I create the Saving America coin, SA coin. So I had, I got... My currency, I, I think I've actually, if you guys want to really freak out, I can show you 49 billion coins on thumb drives that are <laughs> sitting in my bag. Um, so it's just like Doge. Doge was a fork of the Litecoin in December of 13. I forked the Litecoin in June of 14. I launched my website, savingamerica.com. had Saving America currency. We launched it. Bitcoin crashes from $1,100 down to like $100. We got these Russian hackers trying to steal our coins. So we like take the thing down, right? 
So anyway, so I don't have anything up right now, and I've got something that I'm going to do. You launched a coin in 2013? Yeah. The best part about the I story like is how you conceived the idea nine of saving America with popular. Hulk Hogan sitting right there. <laughs> dude, That's the most dude. American shit ever. What'd you say? I said the best part is how you conceived the idea with Hulk Hogan sitting across from you. Oh, the Hulk goes, dude, it'd be like, no, this, it was a different idea okay. that we, Hulk yeah. and I were talking about. But he said, oh, my God, it'd be like we're saving America. Jason goes, Courtney, you should buy that domain. <laughs> so a it took me a year to get it, and I did. And so then I, I go, okay, what do I do with this? How do you save America, right? So think. So now I'm going, okay, you want to talk about a business idea? Should we keep the camera on? <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there, I'm going, because I keep a low profile, right, or I have, right? Because uh, I don't, you know want people throwing darts at me or whatever. I'm just a knucklehead, like, you know, living life. Um, who am I to say, you know? But I, I, I do think America is the world's biggest brand, and I think saving it is the only thing that matters, and I happen to own that brand now and forever to the end of, to the end of my life, saving America I own, right? It's mine. And I can craft a business idea around that I had my idea of a digital town hall, right? Back in 2014, right? What Elon's talking about today, you know, I can show you an article in the Huffington Post, you know, about me and that idea in 2014. I can show you press releases about that idea in 2014. Um, but it's just like having an idea and, and going for it and doing it, but being ahead, you know, ahead of your time, right? But I've got this currency. I had my bank was or my attorneys were actually Perkins Coie, the, the the law firm that that did the whole Hil Hillary Steele dossier. That that was my law firm. Mm. That was my law firm in Silicon Valley. You know, it's cool. Um, but anyway, so so right now America is in the worst time I've seen in my life. The 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 divide, right? The the um, you know, people, 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 you know, hating each other because they voted for one political candidate, you know, or another, you know. Um, and so something has to happen for people to come together. I believe America's going off a cliff. Obviously, we've seen this administration with two years to be able to try the crazy shit they're doing. And, you know, how's it working out for us? You know, doesn't seem like it's working very well. So I'm trying to figure out, or I'm not trying to figure out, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, there's going to be $16 billion spent on this election between now and 2014. $16 billion on the presidential election? the 24 election. Okay. So I'm going, okay. How can you get a piece I, of that? I, I know I can got a container I could put half of them, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I know I got a currency I could reward people with. You know, for, and I know that basically politicians want to know what issues matter, participate in these polls. So the, the, all the circulation of this coin is on your hard drive. Like, could it be circulated more? Like, Dogecoin supply is. Hold on. 
right. You guys want to let him cook, bro? Should, should we? So I got to put this down. So turn my mic. It better not be raw eggs. <laughs> we had someone come on here last time, and he gave us raw eggs, and we had to eat them on the podcast. There's like a thousand bitcoins on here. So, again, I have a Stanford PhD, fork the Litecoin. So, the circ is a hundred billion. This is forty-nine billion coins right here on these two thumb drives. Mm. That's the instructions. So there's other. There are two sets of these, this one in my hand and another in a safe deposit box. Okay. And this is from 2413, this instruction? Okay. <laughs> so you'll flip when you read that. Can we read it for the audience? Or we want sure, to sh- go yeah. ahead. Read it, read well, it. You know, what, yeah. Okay. This package should contain two USB thumb drives, one red and one black. The red drive contains encryption keys created specifically for you. The drive contains a README with information about the keys and how to access them. The black drive contains encrypted data, i.e. the cold wallets. All are currently encrypted with the same encryption keys, the ones on the red thumb drives. Ideally, these two drives will not be stored together since that gives complete access to all cold wallets. However, initially the risk of doing so is relatively low given the likelihood of an attack. Once I've confirmed you have received these, you will be... The only one who has a copy of your encryption keys. We have redundancy of the wallet data because we distributed separate encrypted copies to multiple people, but any loss will require recovering a copy of the data from someone else. You want to create additional copies yourself to ensure they're not lost. In order to <laughs> in order to make a transfer, you need to... I don't even know how to say some of these words. There's a, a list of uh, instructions. This is only an overview to give you an idea of what's involved. More complete instructions are available in the deployment repository, and we'll probably have to walk through the steps together the first time we need to make a transfer. That's pretty cool, huh? Cold storage, nine years ahead of when I learned about it. That's unbelievable. So that was like 10 years ago you wrote that. 2014, yeah. Cold storage. Yeah, right here. (laughs) <laughs> 49 billion coins. So, yeah. So, what? So, so this could, you know, affect an, uh, an election, right? So my concept was, okay, how do I go give all these coins away before they have this value? Because you can only give people up to $600, and you'll have to give them a 1099, yeah. right? So, so the game was, how do I go give all these away? you know, while they're creating value, right? So we're not left with this, you know, billion-dollar tax obligation. And so I had Perkins Cooey tell me how to architect that. And, And, you know, that's what I did, (laughs) you know? So, um, yeah, so from race teams to... You know, the future of America and how do we, you know, create a new economy and how do we create a new search engine and how do we make groovy frickin' sushi and, 
you know, done it all, how do we how do we race cars? He's Dos Equis, man. You know, how do we? How, the Dos Equis man, the most interesting man alive. <laughs> no, no, that's not me, man. That's not me. <laughs> I'm just, I do like to wear black. It's great. Color. So you're a pretty strong believer in cryptocurrency going forward. Bitcoin, Ethereum, are there any ones that uh, you keep your eye on? Just because you're, you've been exposed to it for so long, is that something you're still super passionate about? Uh, and Do you invest in that, or is it really just more so you're interested in your own? Both. I mean, I, I'm, I'm most interested in my own, but, I mean, I have Bitcoin and, and uh, Ethereum. Um, I'm a fan of Litecoin. You know, I think Litecoin's, um, I think Litecoin's good. Well, something that piqued my interest today... I've, um, I've done I've done crypto, you know, so so one of the reasons I moved to Tampa was I was um, an evangelist for crypto, and I was helping this this guy that had this big financial you know platform, and and I told him it's like, dude, I, I want to, you know, he had all these tools for the stock market, and I'm like, dude, can, can I like white label your shit for crypto, you know, and. Uh, I did a, you know, we would do these web webinars, right? And so, like, I think one we did six million dollars in an hour and a half. Wow! You know, of his thing, you know, I was the I was the guru, you know, <laughs> really talking about what the promise of 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 the the crypto blockchain, and I still believe it. So I be, I believe it. I like anything, they're bad actors, man. There's just bad people. Look, look, Silicon Valley Bank failed, right? So that was so, the thing I was gonna say. It's crazy because you think about the personification of like the worst parts about the traditional banking system. You think of a bank run and how hey, that's the I risk of having that's a depression. But bro. still, right? still on that day when one of the biggest banks goes on a bank run, Bitcoin's down ten percent. So it's clear that people just Correlate. Yeah, yeah. People don't, yeah, it's, it's, it's too tied to the traditional yeah. financial system well, people, to actually break away but, at this but point. But here's the thing, man. Here's the problem. The problem is people act on emotion. Subconscious yeah. mind moves towards pleasure and moves away from pain. Subconscious mind acts like a nine-year-old. So the whole game is talking to the subconscious mind. If you really want to know how to play the game, you play, you play with the subconscious and, you know, I've done all this clinical hypnosis shit. And, and so you really want to understand where the battle is. It's between the ears. Right. Yeah. How do you create an eager want? How do you create people feel like doing something? Mm. Right. And so in broadcast, it's the theater of the mind. So you're speaking words, you know, or a song. Right. You want to occupy a position in somebody's mind. And that's the political warfare. It's this occupying a position in people's mind, right? And so you're, you're saying, well, when something's logical, why don't they just, re you know, well, they, they, they short circuit the logic and the emotion goes, fuck, <laughs> you know, it's the fight or flight, right? Yeah. And so there's no balance when it comes to this battle between, you know, fear of loss and logic. You know, and you have to have, you know, steel casing kahunas, you know, to be able yeah. to. And in, and in aviation, you know, it's flying the airplane. You got to fly the airplane in the storm and the clouds and the, these, you know, conditions and the 
person screaming in the back seat, oh, we're going to die. You know, you got to fly the airplane, man. You got to look at your controls. You got to look at your gauges. You know, JFK Jr. died because of spatial disorientation. You know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. You know, he started chasing, you know, started chasing the darkness, right? You got to look at the, got to look at the gauges. You got to, you got to keep your head on. You got to fly the airplane. And as entrepreneurs, bringing it back to your audience, you know, we're entrepreneurs, man. You got to fly the airplane. And you're following your instincts. You're following your in, in, intuition. But, but you got to, you're, you're looking at the gauges. You're follow, you know, you're flying your airplane, you know, because the only thing you can do is land. If you don't land, you don't exist, you know. Yep. And so many people crash their airplane because they, you know, mine crashed because of a mechanical failure, you know. And somehow I was able to wrangle it, you know, <laughs> to stick on a seawall. But, you know, the, 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 you know, we, we are, we're like leaves on the tree bathed by the folly of the wind. You know, and that's the, that's the discourse in this country. People think that they're different because of the color of their skin. Because they think that they're separate from the whole. We are all one. We are all one. We all are stardust, right? And so I was over in India, and I'm looking at this tree, and I'm going... Imagine the life of a leaf, bathed by the folly of the wind. They look upward, they're downward, all they see are leaves. I'm a leaf, you're a leaf. Until they're veiled to the inner life below the surface and the roots beneath the tree. They go up, give the tree the inner life, they give the leaf life. Until it falls from the tree and goes in the earth to go back and be a tree again. And it was a tree the whole time. And so people, people believe they're separate, but they're not. We're all one. And so when people attack each other for their political beliefs, it's, to me, it's the height of ignorance. It's the height of folly, you know? And it's like, why, why do we take each other down? You know, why do we believe we're separate? We're really, you know, one, so. That's interesting. What were y'all in India for? Um, pilgrimages. Very I go, cool. I, 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 I'm a seeker, so I, you know, I'm a, I'm a crazy dude, so I just wanted to go. Um, I go to this one particular place. I first went in 1998. Been there half a dozen times. Um, you know, I go and it's all in silence. And that's cool. Well, figure out what's up. You know. Yeah. So, I'm a huge sports fan. You're wearing a Bucks hat, dude. I you drop you drop the Masters very casually. Yeah. That's a bucket list thing for me. So like. As a sports fan myself, I'm very curious to hear what experiences you've had going to sporting events, meeting athletes. Like, what are some really cool stories you have? So I've been in the Masters, I think I went 17 times. Jeez. I was wow. there for Tiger's first win. <laughs> oh, he's going to freak out. Coolest, coolest thing is... 17 times, I want to go one time. Okay, here's the coolest Masters story, right? So, you know, Hollywood, man. I've lived in L.A. for a long time and Hollywood and met a bunch of, you know famous people and lived in Malibu and you realize, you know, bacon and eggs taste the same to everybody, you know. <laughs> you know, you're like at Starbucks and there's like Tom Hanks and like, oh, Tom Hanks. <laughs> and, and, you know, so the year Tiger won, first one. 97? What? A, yeah, had to be, yeah. And, and so I'm there 
and uh, in from LA, and my partner Rick, Rick Dees, he's there, and, and so Rick's a member of this country club called Lakeside. Lakeside's right where you know Bob Hope was a member there, Bing Crosby, right across from Warner Brothers. It's right, it's right in Toluca Lake. That's why it's called Lakeside. So it's a who's who Hollywood, you know, famous joint. So one of Rick's buddies and a guy I got to meet and met him half a dozen times is Jack Nicholson, the actor, Jack Nicholson. And um, Jack's exactly who you'd expect him to be. <laughs> um, you know, loves to smoke dope and get a buzz on. And, and uh, um, so I'm at the Masters and Rick's like, hey, do you want to you want to you want to fly back to LA with me and Jack tonight? <laughs> I'm like, sure. What's a you know? Fuck yeah! I don't want to you know. Hell yeah! <laughs> so I go to get on the bird, you know, at private. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. Uh. Yeah, Meanie, do you want to fly back on our jet to LA? And I'm like, yeah. And. Um, so that was a year tire one. It was my coolest exit from the Masters, other than just I flew my plane up there. Uh, but I got to fly with Jack and, and talk to Jack. We had a headwind, so it was like a six and a half hour flight uh, back. And I got to ask Jack Nicholson about movies and, you know, and, um, you know, he's a very, very crazy, crazy, crazy dude. But, but, that, was, but that was cool. Uh, another cool Hollywood story. Uh, I was in one of, one of my one of my friends was uh, worked with Pierce Brosnan, so we flew over to um, the James Bond set in England, London, um, and uh, I'd gone to Amsterdam like the day before, and Pierce Brosnan was the James Bond you know, yeah. character, and. Um, Pierce likes to smoke good weed, you know, and, and uh, you know, in James Bond's dressing room, you know, talking about Amsterdam and and such, right? With James Bond, and that was pretty cool. That's cool. You know, that was a cool. That was a cool. You know, the but but really the the thing about celebrity, you know, celebrities is that. Um. Fame is, fame is weird, man, because you just see, you know, you know somebody because you get to meet them, but then to see how the whole world, like, reacts around them, you're like, you know, I don't wish that on anybody. Yeah. Because you know, it's really a, a, a bizarre way to live. It's, it's like a, Michael Jordan never left his hotel room, right? Yeah. 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 So, so um, I don't know if that answered sports questions. So the sports golf was cool. <laughs> Golf was cool. Masters was cool. Indy racing's cool. So that's cool. I got a good Sweet. lead into yeah. the. We got a wrap and look. The lightning that. round. Really yeah, the lightning round. Uh, basically, the next question is: if you could have dinner with any three people, who would it be and why? And it feels like you've obviously had really cool life experiences. So, your answer to this will be super interesting. Well, I think I think you'd have to say Tom. Brady would be one of them. Yeah. I, I mean, wouldn't, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't Tommy Boy go, because, like, Tom, so, so dude, what's up? 
What do you think about Giselle these days? <laughs> we, we, you know, and Giselle likes astrology and the occult, and she's kind of a witch, famously, right? And so, Tom, you're kind of wooden. That's you're probably kinda, why you played so bad this year. Yeah, yeah. And so did she put a hex on you? What's up? <laughs> um, so I think that would be interesting. I think, um, I think JFK would be a really interesting... Um, his story is it, it, it's extraordinary. Um, it's extraordinary that the government literally killed a president. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I like to listen to books. I'm listening to a book right now about J, JFK. Um, it's, it's a 24 hour long book. Wow. Um, and it's about Lyndon Johnson and the association of Kennedy's demise. But I think Kennedy was fascinating. Kennedy's story was fascinating. He was, he was really one of the first modern global citizens to have a point of view. You know, he was, his father was wealthy, so he got to travel to these other, other parts of the, of, the, of the globe and, have, and meet people and kind of have a perspective. You know, long before there was an internet, we were, you know, citizens of the world, you know, through our, this magic thing in our pocket. Um, and then the other person I think would be well, two. One would be my father, who's no longer here. I'd love to have dinner with him again. And the other would be my wife. She's my best friend. That's awesome. awesome Very cool. It's a great list. JFK's, uh, yeah, that whole story's a big rabbit hole, right? That you could go into with... He's another one that had happened. the dog in him. Yeah. I didn't mean in terms of the women. I mean in terms of the just the story behind what happened with him. It's an interesting no, person no, together. Yeah, and no. his dad's story is super interesting, too. No, well, well I'm telling you... LBJ killed him. Damn. For, for, for sure. For like, for certain. And it was all set up starting in 1960. CIA stuff, right? CIA. But, and it was all because of the military industrial complex, the CIA. He didn't like that stuff. I don't he know. He wanted to pull out of Vietnam. Stuff. But, yeah. but, I mean, again, it's, it's really, I was, I listened to an hour and a half of it today on my walk, but look. Wow. LBJ, the mastermind of the JFK assassination. This right. book yeah. is stunning. So anyway, I know. Wow. That. Oh, it's a good record. I know right. you're running um, low on your show. You a big basketball fan? Not really. No. All right. What other sports do you like? Football, golf, basketball, soccer, hockey. What about race cars, man? Like I don't. I gotta get into it. Have you ever been to a NASCAR race? No. I went to the Daytona 500 a couple years ago. It was cool. You ever different in person, different you energy. Ever, you can feel it when yeah. you drive by. You ever driven a race car? No. <laughs> no. So let I me drive a RAV4. So, so back to the Indy car. So I got to do ride along. I got to ride in an Indy, Indy car going 185 miles an hour around the track in a two-seater. Damn. I got, which is, dude, dead nuts, nuts. So I've driven stock cars. I've done uh, uh, racing school at Sebring. It's like the most fun. I mean, it is like the coolest thing you could do. Another, you know what? It'd be fun to it'd be fun to have dinner with Keith Richards, Rolling Stones, right? Rolling Stones. It'd be fun to, because I'm a musician. I mean, that'd be cool to have a job, you know, like uh, like Keith or Bono. You know, playing music, playing music is to to come, you know, to write a song and to perform it for an audience, which I've done since I was a kid. It's just like the best thing to get to do. You know? mm. Have everyone know the words like that'd be an oh insane. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, but yeah, man, JFK, 
<laughs> so, so you look at the military-industrial complex. You look at what happened with the Trump administration. You just look at, you know, what's happening in Ukraine. It's, it to me, it is Vietnam all over again. You know, it's bad policy. It's yeah. going to end up in a bad place. You know. Yeah. All right, we got to wrap. We got yeah, people we're getting kicked out. out. We're getting kicked out. That was an amazing episode. We'll have a part two. I'm sure we could talk all day about this stuff. So thanks for coming on, man. That was uh, yeah, awesome. Blast. Really cool to learn more about your story. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate thanks, you man. Doing that. Awesome.